Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome back to Woven. Today we are finishing up our series called It's Not a Political Issue by talking about the things that surround political issues. And today we have a really important one, fallacies. So we're going to talk a little bit. <laughs> we just thought it would be good to get a refresher. I mean, I I think, did everybody have to take Philosophy 101? I mean, I did in college. Did you have to take it? No, we wait, we could choose between psychology or philosophy and I chose okay. psychology. I wish okay. I would have chosen philosophy. I, I probably would have been more interested in that, but what did I know? So, Well, I remember learning in philosophy about all of the, you know, bad arguments, basically, logical fallacies, and thinking every time politics come up, I remember just being like, well, that's a terrible argument. And then I just get frustrated and I shut down. So yeah. in the interest of not doing that, we want to just kind of like give everybody a refresher course on the fallacies you may be hearing during debates and different things and um, kind of talk about them. And then we also want to go into Jesus's style of arguing. Like how can we argue well and respectfully and kindly and with grace, but also get our point across and not shut down. I think that's a really important thing right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna link in the show notes um, a couple of good um, resources. Um, I'm gonna when we start talking about Jesus's um, ways of arguing, I'm gonna link to a book called um, "How to Argue Like Jesus," and then I'm gonna also link to another book by um, a minister. His name's Scott Sauls. He um, studied under Tim Keller, but he has a book coming out actually this week called "A Gentle Answer," um, and it's um, I've I've read bits and pieces of it. My actual copy is coming in the mail today, but um, yeah. So I, I, those are both really good resources. <laughs> I was actually, I commented on Scott's um, Instagram. He doesn't know who I am, but I still commented about how I felt like this was such a timely book release. And, uh, and I, he, and he um, mentioned in the post that it was, it was not intended to come out when it did. Yeah. But it, it just happens to be a really good time that it's coming out. So um, I think this, these are all really good um, discussions for right now. So. Awesome. So yeah, we're going to, um, so I, I mean, this is like common knowledge, but what I'm referring to is um, from Purdue University. They just had a really good article on logical fallacies with examples. So that's kind of what I'm going to be taking from and we'll link that in the show notes. Yeah. Um, should I just jump into it? Go for it. Okay. If you are like me and your brain broke during COVID-19 and it's still not all the way better, <laughs> let me remind you what a fallacy is. A fallacy <laughs> is a common error in reasoning that will undermine the logic of your argument. They can be either illegitimate arguments or irrelevant points and are often identified because they lack evidence that supports their claim. So basically, it's taking away from what you're really saying. And usually they're done intentionally to distract people. I mean, if you've ever watched political debate, no matter what yeah. side you're on, all politicians do this. Another reason it is really stretching me to care about politics. So um, <laughs> the first one we'll talk about is the slippery slope. So... Conclusion that if A happens, eventually Z will happen, equating A and Z. So if you don't want A to, Z to occur, A can occur. The example yeah. they gave, if we ban Hummers, like Hummers like the car, because they're bad for the environment, eventually the government will ban all cars. So we should not ban Hummers. This reminds yeah. me of like common sense gun law arguments a yeah. lot. You know, like um, it's sort of just 
what's that movie where they have the jumping to conclusions, Matt? Is that Office Space? Do you know what I'm talking about? Where the guy invents a mat for jumping to conclusions? Or how is it's it not Office version? Space? I don't remember. Is it for your version? It's one of those comedies. I can't remember which one. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. We'll probably figure it out. Um, but <laughs> so that's what it is to me. I think of it as just like jumping to conclusions and saying like, well, if my kids don't get into this preschool, then they're going to be complete idiots and fail at life. It's like that kind of argument where you say something and then you just take it all the way to the end. And that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like um, this happens a lot in, um, in church circles too. Um, that mm-hmm. if we give in this one area, that's not a black and white truth, but if we give in this area, then we're going to slippery slope. And then all these other, we're going to like sin in all of these other ways, or we're going to become oh, liberal in quotation uh-huh. marks and all those other ways. Um, yeah. like for instance, the whole thing, you know, about, um, women in ministry, you know, um, the argument always yeah. is, hell, if you, if you allow women in ministry in your church, then this is going to happen. Then this is going to happen. Then all of a sudden, you know, you're completely liberal and no longer Bible believing. Right. And, um, obviously that, I mean, there are such things as slippery slopes, obviously, you know, drug use yeah. can be considered a slippery slope, <laughs> but For using sure. that in an argument in politics or religion or whatever is an exaggeration and doesn't usually mm-hmm. uh, make logical sense. Yeah. Right. Um, the next one is a hasty generalization. Conclusion mm-hmm. based on insufficient or biased evidence, rushing to a conclusion before you have all the relevant facts. I don't mean to brag. I'm really good at this one. <laughs> I just almost sprayed dye dust pepper up my nose. <laughs> well, even though it's only the first day, I can tell this is going to be a boring course. Um, Authors basing his evaluation of an entire course on only the first day, which is notoriously boring and full of housekeeping tasks for most courses. To make a fair and reasonable evaluation, you must attend not one but several classes, probably examine the textbook, yada, yada. So it's basically like meeting someone once and being like, I don't like them. But you don't really know why. So um, so that's kind of self-explanatory why that's a fallacy. Um, Host hoc ergo propter hoc. The conclusion that if A occurred after B, then B must have caused A. For example, I drank bottled water and now I am sick. The water must have made me sick. So blaming B on A. Yeah. So if one event chronologically follows another first event, if one event chronologically follows another, then the first event must have caused the second. But the illness could have been caused by the bad burrito, the flu bug, or a chemical spill across campus. Yeah. So I think that and the point of all these is like the lack of evidence is like the big yeah. thing to take away. And I mean, this is just, it, it's like Obama was in office, therefore this, or like Trump's in office, therefore this. So it's like, it, yeah. it's that sort of thing. Um, the next one is a genetic fallacy, which is conclusion. Oh, this is timely. Conclusion based on an argument, the, the origins of a person, idea, institute, or theory determine its character, nature, or worth. For example, yep. The Volkswagen Beetle is an evil car because it was originally designed by Hitler's army. The author is equating the character of a car with the character of the people who built the car. The two are not inherently related. This is the problem we're seeing. I mean, it's really at the tip of our cultural iceberg right now, but it's always been there, like racial relations and saying like, well, this black person did this, therefore all black people are like this or white people or, you know, whatever. So it's that sort of like gross generalization. Um, You see that politically too. Um, you know, that, you know, just automatically assuming that if a person votes X way, then they believe all these other things too. 
Uh, right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, well, I think, so this one, I think, I this think is more, you just described is more of a hasty generalization, which was oh, the okay, one, okay, like, yeah, the course the is going to suck. Yes. And I think this one is saying, like, if you're a white Christian, you're probably a Republican. That's okay, what this yeah. is saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, and so then, FYI, that's not always true. <laughs> I think they know that, but a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca, you have been a, you've done a terrible job of not actually bringing politics in. <laughs> I love I you for it. That's who you, you are. think I'm I doing know, a terrible I job, I've actually been very restrained. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm messing with you. You're not doing a terrible job. It's just, it's funny. Um, you just okay. made a hasty generalization. <laughs> I made it. No, I didn't. I have been here for the entire series. <laughs> okay, the next one is begging the claim. The conclusion that the writer should prove is validated within the claim. For example, filthy and polluting coal should be banned. Arguing that coal pollutes the earth and thus should be banned would be logical, but the very conclusion that should be proved, which is that coal causes enough pollution to warrant banning its use, is already claimed in the claim by referring to it as filthy and polluting. Yeah. Um, Circular argument. This restates the argument rather than actually proving it. This is a big one. Example, George Bush is a good communicator because he speaks effectively. So you're not proving anything. You're just saying the argument over. These are all, I mean, um, uh, that's used all over politics all the time. Um, Like any debate you want. Well, all of them are, but like definitely that one in debates, I feel like, um, and on, especially in stump speeches, because people are just like Mm -hmm. reciting um, a platform right and so there's yeah. just like there's just sayings like just saying the same thing over and over and over without like giving causality like it's just or, or examples or whatever you just are saying well that's things. what so it's as specific as evidence such as using everyday language breaking down complex problems or illustrating his points talking about george bush with humorous stories would be needed to prove either half of the sentence so instead yeah. of like giving an example you're just saying it um yeah okay then either or Oh my gosh. This is the one. This is the one that I feel like is really big. This is a conclusion that oversimplifies the argument by reducing it to only two sides or choices. For example, we can either stop using cars or destroy the earth. Mm. This is seen a lot. Like if you don't agree with my one point, then this horrible. So it's different than that first one that was talking about. Um, it's different than the hasty generalization. Yeah. This is more calculated i think the hasty generalization to me reads a little bit more anxiety this one reads a little more manipulation so you're oversimplifying an argument by saying so i mean if you want to take away the car example like you could say like and we talked about this with my husband a little bit when we were talking about like okay like what can like these roles of government actually do so like if you see this and you say like if nancy pelosi stays in the senate our country's going to, you know what? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's not exactly true because there's checks and balances, right? And like, just like we can yeah. either stop using cars or destroy the earth. Well, yeah, cars are a huge problem. So are a ton of other things. So yeah. me using a car is not destroying the earth, but someone would say that to make me feel bad and like shame me into not using a car, right? Yeah. Um, and then ad hominem attack on the character of a person rather than his or her opinions or arguments. Another big one, making it like a personal attack versus like an attack of the argument, which I don't even think 
people know that that's not how you argue anymore. I feel like everything's a personal attack. I mean, truly. So the example they give, Greenpeace's strategies aren't effective because they are all dirty, lazy hippies. (laughs) (laughs) So it's the same as saying like, well, it's like every um, political ad you watch on TV. They all use right. That. That's but they. Yeah, it's a personal attack on character, um, and they find whatever they can, like even if it's the smallest thing, and exaggerate this personal attack on character to make you think that they can't do X job or whatever. Yeah, right. And that goes always. Like that is just. And I, it's interesting. Like, do you think there ever was? I mean, I've only lived in the political time I've lived in, but do you think there ever was a time that this wasn't done? That people actually like said, like it says in this example, the author doesn't even name the particular stra- strategies Greenpeace has suggested, much less evaluate those strategies on their merit. Instead, no, they I attack think the character just, of the individual. I just the way human nature. Human, it's human nature. I mean, if you, if yeah. you like, I mean, they, they did it to G- the people that argue with Jesus tried to attack, attack his character too. You know, they tried to, yeah, say that he, yeah. he sided with, he decided with the devil or he, he's not really from God or whatever, whenever he said something they didn't like. So, I mean, I think this has been used, that that tactic's been used forever. (laughs) Yes. And then here's another popular political one. Ad populum or the bandwagon appeal, an appeal that presents what most people or a group of people think in order to persuade one to think the same way. Getting on the bandwagon. So example, if you were a true American, you would support the rights of people to choose whatever vehicle they want. That's kind of a dumb example. I mean, mean, some people could say like, Again. I was just gonna say I think populist politics is very huge right now um yeah you know that's I, I think that getting people um right, one side and I'm not talking about just one side even though Trump is very good at this the other side's good at this too um he just that his whole brand is this um but yeah. and, and um is the but both sides do this is um just like appealing to the base um, in a mm-hmm. way with very dramatic bandwagon type of language. Um, and when we talked about this with fancy politics with Sarah and Beth about the team mentality. So like you want to mm-hmm. be a part of a team. And so you, um, you, you attach yourself to a team and you hop on that bandwagon of that team. You know, we, we call people who are like not really fans of an, of a sports team unless they start winning. And then we call them bandwagon yeah. fans. It's the same thing. Like, you know, it's yeah. the, it's that mentality of being on a team and going for that team, no matter what. Yeah. And, and appealing to that tricky team. Is about, I mean, we've talked about this, this whole series, but how we have a two party system and it doesn't work because it is very rare that you will find people who a hundred percent agree with everything yeah. that either of these polarized parties agree with. And mm-hmm. it becomes a problem because you end up having to pick and yeah, you end up thinking like, well, I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. So I have to, and it's like, it, that just doesn't work. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's so much yeah. more nuanced than that. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, three more. Okay. The red herring is the only one I like really remembered, like what it was called and what it meant. And I think it was because it's about food. Um, this, <laughs> the red, <laughs> the red <laughs> Sorry, I think that's so funny. Um, I'm dead serious. Okay, the red herring. This is a diversionary tactic that avoids the key issues, often by avoiding opposing arguments rather than addressing them. So it's also like the idea of, or the way I learned it, it's like you you throw the fish in to distract. You know, it's like yeah. you're throwing, because a dead fish is always distracting, I guess. 
Um, the level <laughs> it would be the me. <laughs> <laughs> the level of mercury in seafood may be unsafe, but what will fishers do to support their families? Um, so it's kind of like it, you're not arguing about. So in this example, author switches the discussion away from the safety of the food and talks instead about yeah. an economic issue. This yeah. is happening all the time. All With the time. COVID right now, oh my gosh, this is happening all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. every. I mean, everything. I mean, yeah. everything. Yeah. yeah. Well, one distract, issue may distract, affect distract. the other. It doesn't. <laughs> right. Well, one issue may affect the other. It does not mean that we should ignore possible safety issues because of possible economic consequences to a few individuals. So, I mean, I feel like this too comes up a lot. Um, like we did our stewardship series, but just. Do you watch The Good Place? Have you watched it? No, it's on my it's on my list of things that I need to watch. I just haven't watched it yet. I'm watching it, and I mean, basically, not to get too off topic, but I think it's relevant. Um, they, the the way the system of like heaven and hell or good place and bad place are based, it's like based on the actions you do on Earth. So if you do good or bad things, and then they realize throughout the show that um, there's I'm not this is not a spoiler, but that no one's gotten into heaven in like 300 years and it's because everything's so complicated and they give the example of like well i bought flowers to cheer up my mom but they were picked by unpaid or like poorly paid migrant workers and like how things are just so complicated now and like it's so hard to be like a quote-unquote good person and i think that's such a good example of that because it's like anything you do if you say like it's bad to buy clothes from old navy okay but but what if You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's just a bunch of different ways you can go in that argument. Yeah. Um, And then, did that make sense? It's easier to use distraction techniques than actually dig into the nuances of an argument. Like, and when there's a lot of issues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and when there's several issues at play, like if you say, like, you know, meat production is killing the environment, methane gas, whatever, depleting the ozone because of all this, like, feedlot stuff. Like, but, and then you say, well, you shouldn't buy cheap meat. But then someone's like, well, I can't afford to buy yeah, free range, whatever. So it's like, there's all, it's like, just because somebody can't afford to buy it, that's a separate issue than saying that the cows and like our overconsumption of meat are hurting our planet. Like those are different issues. But what somebody would say to defend industrial meat is, yeah. well, people can't afford it. And that's true. And that's a different issue. So that's like the difference, I guess. Yeah. Um, the straw oh, man. Thanks. The straw man. This move oversimplifies an opponent's viewpoint and then attacks the hollow argument. People, example, people who don't support this proposed state minimum wage increase hate the poor. Oh, this is used all the time. Yeah. This is used in immigration. So, this is a used in abortion. Mm-hmm. This is used in a lot of. <laughs> so it's no. the, the trick. Yeah. yeah. It's the oversimplification. It's like you're taking mm-hmm. a nuanced point someone is making, you're dumbing it down, and then you're making them sound dumb for the really dumb argument, when really yeah. it was never a dumb argument. So they yeah. say, the author attributes the worst possible motive to an opponent's position. In reality, the opposition probably has more complex and sympathetic arguments to support their point. By not addressing those arguments, the author is not treating the opposition with respect or is refuting their position. So yeah, it was... I was um, just re-listening to our Pansy Poli- our episode with the Pansy Politics, the, the first episode in the series. And um, they talked about this and they're talking about values-driven um, politics and how a lot of us have the same values, 
but we just have different processes for how we um, legislate those values. And one of the things that they, Sarah said was about abortion. And she was like, can we all just say that like nobody hates babies? It's just we have different procedures right. about how we think that should be, that situation should be addressed. But like most people don't hate babies. But like that, that, that argument is used. Um, and same thing yeah. with immigration. Like if you, if you believe in immigration policy and you want stricter immigration policy, that obviously means that you're inhumane. I mean, yeah, right. some people who believe in that may be inhumane, but not everybody who believes in stricter immigration policies are inhumane. Does that make not sense? Not everybody who believes in stricter policies thinks that kids should be in cages. Like those are not, but Correct. it's like, that's what, that's what this has become a lot of times. Yeah. So that's the straw yeah. man argument. So think about yeah. a little scarecrow falling over. Um, and then the last one, I mean, there's more, but this is the last one that we're going to cover is moral equivalence. So compares minor misdeeds with major atrocities, suggesting that both are equally immoral. The parking ticket who gave, or the parking attendant who gave me an, this is a dumb example. Let me think of a different example. Um, the fallacy compared to, no, no, no. so I've heard the argument, well, Martin Luther King Jr. cheated on his wife. Yes. Okay. He, yeah. But does that mean that because he did that one immoral thing that nothing else he did mattered? Yeah. Are we saying, so I think that's a good example. I mean, and so let me see. Okay. I will read the example they give because they give a good explanation. The parking attendant who gave me a ticket is as bad as Hitler. In this example, the author is comparing the relatively harmless actions of a person doing their job with the horrific actions of Hitler. The comparison is unfair and inaccurate. So it's like saying, it's like when our kids, so maybe that Martin Luther King one was not a good, that might've been a better example of something else, but maybe this is like when your kids, like you're the worst mom ever, when you make them like do something they don't want to do. And you're like, yeah, I'm making you do a chore. Am I the worst mom ever? Really? You want to see the worst mom ever? Oh, I've got the worst mom award. I get that award. That's my My award. My five-year-old told (laughs) me that the other day. And I was like, are you supposed to be saying this already? Like you're only five. Like I was not prepared for that. But I think of, um, oh, I had an, I had an example and it just like flew out my brain. Oh, the idea that like, if, if, um, a certain person is in political power and you don't like the choices that they make, um, I've seen people do this, especially in the church. Well, that they're the antichrist because they're against this and this, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and you're like, "Mm, just because you don't agree with their policies. I mean, obviously none of us know who the Antichrist are, but I think that's a little bit of a stretch. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. So I think it's just good to go over these and kind of keep them in mind as you're paying attention to things and just educate yourself because this is something, I mean, not even politics, but just in life, like, there's going to be things we have to debate with people and there's going to, have to be things that we talk about and are uncomfortable and we need to make sure that we're doing it well and that we're calling other people to do it well as, as well. Well, as well. Um, well, I, I think when, when certain, when these certain, like we're in a good um, argument with somebody, a, a positive discourse situation yeah. with somebody and they, and it starts to get heated, both sides can start using these things. And I think if we know how to identify them, we can be like, wait a second, we might need to take a break. Like we're yeah. starting to use, we're starting to, you know, we're starting to attack each other. We're starting to use um, some of these hasty generalizations or whatever. And yeah. maybe it's time that we need to take a break because this is not a healthy discussion anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. Totally. Yeah. So Rebecca, how did Jesus argue? Yeah. WWJD. 
<laughs> so um, I, I think it's interesting. Um, I was thinking about it. And I think a lot of people, when you first ask that, if you just asked a random person that question of how did Jesus argue, like people will be like, he was humble. He was gentle. Right. He was quiet. He was non-confrontational and like all those things are true, but there's a lot of examples in scripture of him being controversial and him um, celebrating um, arguing in discourse. Um, And he, he, he reminds us, I think a lot, if you read through the gospels of the importance of discourse and arguing in a way that brings like both um, um, love and truth. And salt and light and grace and the hard things. Um, he is a perfect example to me of a mix of both of those things. Because I think that's what we want to be. We don't want to be non-controversial and non-confrontational. But we also don't want to be so confrontational nobody wants to talk to us. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, yeah. I mean, I think he was extremely confrontational. While at the same time, he was extremely winsome. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of examples, but um, I'll, I'm just going to give a few. And like I said, that this is kind of an outline from the book on how to argue like Jesus, which was written by a Harvard professor and then a theological professor. Um, so it's a, it's a really good book. We'll link to it. But um, the first thing to do when you're in like an argument or a discourse, are those your wind chimes? Yeah. Can you hear them? I can. <laughs> I just for a second, I, was like, what are they? I hate wind chimes. So no. Um, you hate wind chimes? <laughs> yes. Who I was like, what is that times? screeching sound? Do you hate bird singing? I, you probably do. Never mind. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. It took me a really long time to pick those wind chimes. I was very picky about what sound I wanted to hear as a surprise to no one. Okay, continue. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just have pictures of you standing in stores touching all the wind chimes. Okay. Oh yeah, that's um, exactly what it was. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay, back to my examples. Okay, so the first thing Jesus did was he started with examples um, that others will understand. And so he used a lot of everyday life um, examples and parables mm-hmm. um, to teach and to argue. Um, and I, I think one of the, the biggest examples of that to me is he lived in a society that was agrarian, right? So he uses a lot of examples in his arguing and his teaching that brought people back, like the parable of the sower. And all of the vineyard mm-hmm. um, teachings that he did, yeah. he I like to, to us. We read those and we're like, hmm, I need to think about what this means. But they did it. Yeah. Like he spoke to them, and they knew exactly what he was talking about. Like they yeah. didn't walk away questioning the parable of the mustard seed. They knew how a mustard seed grew. <laughs> so yeah, um, I think that that's the first step. It's starting with where people are. Um, and knowing your audience and knowing the, and uh, this goes to the, like the relationship, like how to have, like, I think it's better that we have arguing and discourse and discussions with those that we're already in relationship with, because if we're in relationship with them, then we can start, we know where they are and we can start with where they are and we can use examples and help them to understand our point of view based on things that they already know. And we only know that when we're in relationship with each other. So so that's the first one. And that kind of leads into the next one is speaking your audience's language. Like the person you're talking to, like how I'm going to talk to you is going to be different than how I like talk to my brother, which is going to mm-hmm. be different. Ah, sorry. Phone's ringing into my computer. Okay. Um, <laughs> which, which is going to be different than the way I'm going to speak to my husband, which is going to be different than the way I'm going to argue with my daughter. Right. Right. And so we right. have to like 
speak the language and someone younger and someone older. And like, with it goes back to that being in relationship with somebody and knowing where they are so we can speak to them. I think of this, you know, where we are in culture right now with all of the racial questions and, and arguing and discourse that's going on right now. Um, like how I'm going to talk to somebody who I know has done the work already and has educated themselves is different than going to be the somebody that I know that still has a lot of work left to do. Right. And so yes. I think, but sometimes I think we expect people and I'm the worst about this, that I expect people that they already speak my language. Mm. I'm not talking about English. I'm talking about they already yeah, yeah. know everything that I know. Um, and I expect everybody to be at the same, like if I'm passionate about a subject, so let's take um, equity in education because that's very important to me. I assume it's important to everybody and they've done the research. And then I start arguing yeah. with them like they're on the same level as me in research and they're not. Like, And I can't expect that of people because not everybody is the same as me. Um, yeah. That doesn't mean I shouldn't have a discussion with people about it if it comes up and I shouldn't like avoid it. But I have to know where my audience is and what they know yeah. and what they don't know and where their level is. So that's so that was um, number two. And then the next well, one and is... Just to point out yeah. real quick, like that is not done to be pandering it is done to empower them because nothing makes anyone feel stupider than when you're having a conversation with someone who has more education on the subject whatever it is yeah. than you are and then that just leads people all people to just be like defensive and shut down so yes. it it's more it's done out of the way Jesus did that i see it as like such a great kindness to people yeah. like it is so kind to meet people where they are yeah and to to go slow with them. Like what a gift well, that is, you know? Well, I think I like, I think about the difference between the way he would speak to like a Pharisee versus mm-hmm. the way he would speak to, um, you know, the woman at the well. Okay. Yeah. So like he knew his audience, like he knew the Pharisees knew the Bible front and front and back. They knew the law. They knew the prophecies. Like he can confront them on the ways that they were um, doing things wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And seeing Jesus in the right way because they should have known better. But then there was, <laughs> but then there was, um, you know, the woman at the well who was in a much different spot than the Pharisees, right? And right. So she was a Samaritan. There was she just had a different life experience, and so he came to her with a different approach than he did yeah. the Pharisees and the scribes, right? And so, yeah. like, we have to just know our audience. Like, and that seems so simple, but it's um, it can be profound if you like really start cool. thinking about it. And it's, it's a shift away from you onto them because if yes. you're talking out of your butt just to be right, or you're talking because you want everyone to know how smart you are about whatever your subject is, then that's just, that's just pride and fluffing up your, I'm not talking about you. I'm just saying, no, I do that sometimes. Yeah. I catch myself. But that's just that. pride and fluffing up your own yes. feathers. Like what's the point of your argument? Do you really care about the argument or do you want to be right? And do you want people yeah. to be like proud or like, be like, go girl. Like you're, you're so great. Or do you really, if you really want people to understand, then yep. you have to meet them where they are. And like, I mean, you can see that in your own life with Jesus, I'm sure as I do, like he's talked to me differently, you know, through every season, some seasons he's, you know, more gentle, some seasons he, you know, depending on what's going on in my life. And so I don't know, I think we've all like experienced that probably For even sure. personally with God. Okay. Continue. Sorry. Okay. The next one is, um, using witnesses or testimonials or narratives and stories. Like it's this whole idea of using people's stories, whether it's using your own story or stories of people present or the other person's stories, like, um, re- you know, using stories when you argue, instead of just like throwing out like thoughts and arguments and facts, 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 facts 
actually using mm-hmm. like story and narrative. To, and there's lots of ex- examples. I don't have a specific one in front of me, but there's lots of examples of how he used story to um, mm-hmm. to, to help people see his side. Um, yeah, I think that's a, a that's a beautiful. I mean, I think that's a really great way to talk to people about religion. It's one thing to spout yeah. like theology, and I'm the worst at this because that's my background. Instead of like, how did how has God really spoken to me? How has He taught me? How has He changed me? Instead, I just like to spout out theological ideas, and that unless I'm talking to another theologian, <laughs> is a kind of a pointless argument, right? But if yeah. I use my own experiences tagged onto my theological beliefs, then that argument goes further. Well, and that's exactly, I mean, to me, that's a big reason Jesus died on the cross. Yeah. He uses his own example of pain and suffering to prove yes. a theological point. Like that was yeah. his whole life. Yeah. His whole life. But, and he used scripture. Like, you know, when yeah. he, on the, or the road to Emmaus with the, the men that he walks with and they don't recognize him, he, he, they're kept from recognizing him. And he starts from the law and the prophets and all the way through and shows how Jesus is through all of that. Like he, he uses, he uses narrative. That's what he uses. Mm-hmm. And um, this work, we, I think sometimes we think this only works well with children to use um, stories and to use like moral stories and things like that, like the ugly little duckling and all of those kind of things. <laughs> like, I think that those, those kind of, that kind of narrative based um, discourse is really helpful to all ages, not just children. Oh yeah. I need it. That's why I love the message version of the Bible. I know people yeah. don't all love it, but I just love it. I'm like, thank you yeah. for making this easy for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. The next one, this is my favorite, um, is to use questions. And I've got some actual, I actually flagged some examples of this. But um, so Jesus used questions a lot. He asked lots of questions. And that was because he didn't know the answers to the question. That wasn't because he didn't know the answers. That was because he wanted to see if the other people knew the answer. So he used a lot of questioning, um, which I thought is actually a form of kindness, like you were talking about before because instead of just attacking people or just telling people what they needed to think he actually um tried to get them to figure it out on their own mm-hmm. um and it also it's just there's something to of a way of speaking to someone's heart when you ask them a question like mm-hmm. just think about the times in your life when somebody's asked you a question instead of just told you something oh yeah um, like that speaks to you more well, so, it reinforces the dignity of free will is what it does Yes. So the, uh, one of the examples is, you know, when Jesus is, he's speaking in the house, um, he's speaking in the house and the, the friends lay, lay the paralytic down through the roof. Um, and he goes and he heals the paralytic and the, the scribes and the Pharisees are there. And they're, it says that in their thoughts, they're saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So they're perceiving these questions in their thoughts. And he answers them with a question. He says, why, what do you, why do you, question in your hearts, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he uses a question to make them think about their question, their own questions they were having. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the, the thing is, is like for them, they, they were kind of caught because there's no right answer to that question, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then another example is when he's um, in the temple, um, talking about his authority and it's and he says and the scribes and the Pharisees are questioning his authority and he said Jesus said to them I will ask you one question answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things was the baptism of John from heaven or from man answer me well mm-hmm. and then it, they go on to say well if we say it's from heaven then we we're proving that Jesus that John the Baptist and Jesus are right but if we say that it's from man then everybody's going to everybody who loved John the Baptist is going to be mad 
<laughs> you know? Yeah. And so that, that, that question, instead of just saying my authority comes from God, which is the truth, he could have just said that he gets them to think about it. Um, and yeah. so I think at asking questions and not in a, cause sometimes I ask questions in a way that sounds condescending. I don't think Jesus was being condescending. He was trying them to tell them dig deeper into their own heart and why would they were asking the questions that they were and what why they wanted to know the answers to these questions those questions help to dig further um into relationship with them and the relationship in their hearts so yeah the question asking is great it's really great with your kids yeah ask questions um instead of just telling them what to do well <laughs> yeah saying, i mean what would you do in this situation or what do you think about that you know or why did you i'm sorry that? Does it ever work to tell kids what to do? Um, it depends on your kid. So some kids are compliant and they yeah. do it, but why are they doing it? So my oldest well, is super compliant. So yeah. yeah so she true. would do things that I told her to do, but I want her to do things because she's thought about it. To know why she's from, doing it. And exactly. you want her to know her reason. Yeah. 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 Which again um, is because you love and care about her. Yeah. And, and it goes so back to how personal. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, so it does go back to knowing the person because you kind of know what they're thinking about and what, what motivates them. Well, and just how personal our relation, it just, all of this just points back, like all of this, you know, if, if the point of arguing or discourse is to change minds and if Jesus was a, the perfect human and the perfect, like if he was perfect, then he is right. And so for him to get us to listen to him he like all of these are such dignified and kind ways of doing yeah. that. And I'm just, I'm just struck by that as we're talking, like, especially comparing it with our human fallacies that we just talked about. It's like, wow, yeah. like, look how different Jesus was, you know? Anyway. Yeah, no, for sure. I think dignity was a really good word. Um, mm-hmm. I think the first place we need to start. And I think Jesus did this is to see the person. Yeah. Like, to see them as a human being, because and and I, and you know, you're, you're like, well, of course, it sounds contrite, but like when I look at another person who disagrees with me, sometimes I s- tend to see them as the enemy. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. And so when I see them as the enemy, then I can degrade them um, because they're less than me. But if I look at them as an, a fellow human being that disagrees with me, but they're still a human being with dignity and deserving a respect, then I can come um, to them at a place of like kindness and meeting them where they are versus it's a lot easier to vilify people. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a lot easier for me to argue with somebody who I've vilified than somebody who has like a a, a heartbeat and as a human, (laughs) right? Yeah. And, and to see them that, that, that there's good in them, even if they disagree with me, Um, which is how Jesus handled people. Um, And then the last one is knowing when to speak and when to be silent. So there's a lot of examples in scripture where Jesus knew when to speak and mm-hmm. he spoke a lot and, you know, he overturned tables in the temple and he called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs and like he, you know, gave lessons and he, you know, when the, when the, the group of Jewish men were, um, were condemning Mary for her adultery and then he was like, um, you without, you know, you without sin cast the first stone and all of them walk away. Like um, that's confrontational. Like that's like, you know, in your face confrontation. But on the flip side, he was also, um, when he was on the road to the cross, he was being attacked. And, you know, uh, you know, when he's in front of the the councils and, and the chief priests and everything, 
he stayed silent because that wasn't the time for him to argue. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think this is where wisdom comes from um, and prayer. Like when you are going, get you know you're going into an argument with somebody or you're about to have a conversation with somebody, like asking the Holy Spirit to help you to know when to speak and when to listen. Because yeah, there, there's a time for both. Um, and I really suck at listening. I'm really bad at it. God's I mean, me I think we all do. <laughs> I, but God's teaching me a lot about that. God's teaching me a yeah. lot about because I think I can win arguments solely on my ability to like say all the right things. When sometimes um, our silence speaks louder, um, mm-hmm. and sometimes we need to say the word. Sometimes silence yeah. is bad. Like we're, sometimes silence is because we don't want to be uncomfortable. But sometimes, like just listening, actually speaks louder. So. Yeah, absolutely. So Jesus is really good about that. So that's what I got from Jesus. <laughs> well, good. So yeah. um, I'm just gonna read these out again. Okay. Slippery slope. Hasty generalization, genetic fallacy, begging the claim, circular argument, either or, ad hominem, ad populum or bandwagon appeal, red herring, straw man, and moral equivalence. Those are all the fallacies we did. Oh, Murphy, you're a fallacy. Stop working. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's I've been his up way with of my... arguing with you. <laughs> Murphy needs to know when to be silent is what he needs to do. Um, no, this is really good. This helped me to kind of go back over these. And I, I hope to, yeah, me too. Um, you know, keep, keep all this in mind as we're moving forward and our political yeah. things. And we have, we hope that this series we've done has helped you to feel confident and empowered to engage. I mean, I know it's helped me. That was a big, like selfish reason I wanted to do this series was because I struggled to engage with these things because I feel, you know, cause there's a lot of bad arguers out there. And I, a lot of times I'm just like, this is not worth it, but I do feel like yeah. I feel more empowered and more, you know, I just, we want you to be able, whatever decision you make to have made it with thought and yeah. um, consideration. So I hope that we've empowered you in some way to do that. Yeah. And the only other last thing I'm going to say is vote. I don't care who you vote. Okay, I care a little bit. But I mostly don't care who you vote for. I just want you to vote. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people, you know, with everything that's going on between COVID and um, the, race, the race stuff going on in our country right now, that's not new, but it's just brought back to the surface again. Um, and just the um, political disunity and I'm not saying all of those are connected. I mean, they are connected, but like everything, go- we just have a lot. 2020 has got a lot. And yeah. um, I, a lot of people are like, well, what can I do about it? Like social right. media posts are great, but what can I really do about it? And like uh, being educated on who to vote for and voting is one of the first steps of things you can do. Um, yeah. And so I just, I know it's scary and I know sometimes we feel like we're bullied or, we don't know what to do or we don't know how to understand things. So we just like disengage. And I don't think that's the answer. So I think for me, and I think this is true for a lot of people, we disengage because we are overwhelmed with information. I think if you think back, like, I mean, I'm not like blaming this on like CNN or anything, but I don't think we can possibly take in news 24 hours a day. I don't think we're made to do that. I don't think that's healthy. And I yeah. noticed with me when I really edit and refine my like media diet and I make yeah. sure like we do not tell you to go on diets on this podcast, but I do tell you to go on a media diet because 
I feel like yeah. you have to, if you don't really engage and like think about what you're taking in, then you're just bombarded with information all the time. What happens when you're bombarded? You shut down. So if you yeah. feel yourself shutting down, I would encourage you to maybe like set a time during the day, find a news source that you trust or, you know, a couple that maybe you can find the truth somewhere in the middle and just like engage for that time and then put it away. Like you don't need to yeah. be on your phone all day reading news and you don't need to leave yeah. CNN on in your background. Like that's not healthy. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's I, why we just engage. I had that this weekend and I, and I feel like I have a higher tolerance for um, constant news feed, but we all have breaking points. Um, and I was very engaged in news this week and, and I did a lot of scrolling and a lot of continuing refreshing and refreshing and refreshing and a lot of time on social media. Um, and, um, I felt like yesterday afternoon, it's just, I hit like a breaking point emotionally. And then I went to, um, a, a peaceful demonstration in my, um, smaller town right outside of Atlanta and, um, and where I actually got to be in the presence of other people. So while we were still talking about the same issues, it was in community. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. went, I went up to one of the organizers afterwards, who's also a friend of mine, and was like, thank you so much for doing this because I needed to stop watching the news. I needed to stop scrolling Facebook and I needed to like be with other people yeah. <laughs> and like digest with other people instead of just this constant scrolling of bad news. Does that make sense? Yeah, so totally. We all have to recognize where our breaking point is with that because if we continuously reach that breaking point, then we will disengage. So Yeah, because yeah. the news right now, I mean, we basically live at like a Las Vegas buffet full of cheap, <laughs> crappy food. And like, you yes. need to be sure that you're like eating your veggies yes. and like stepping away from your third plate. You know what I'm saying? That's what yes. I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Well, this has been good. I'm really glad we yes. did it. And I'm glad. Um, I hope you guys got something out of it. And uh, what's up next for us, Rebecca? We are going to do a fun, ep- a fun episode on summer food and summer food safety before 4th of yeah, July. Yeah, we are. Just a little <laughs> refresher. <laughs> on basically not putting your mayonnaise out in Georgia heat. Just don't do that and stuff. We'll talk about more. Um, okay. Um, and Still then we're going to, and then we're, then we have lots of really good guests coming up about um, that. We're going to talk about um, just, yeah, perseverance and all kinds of good stuff. So really good stuff. Yeah. I think it'll be timely. Yeah. So thanks for yep. listening guys and have a great week. We'll see you next week. Okay. Bye. Bye. So till next week, we are on Instagram at Woven and Him. We are on Facebook and Patreon forward slash Woven and Him. You can also email us fullywoven at gmail.com. And I'm Rebecca Pete, like the coffee brand. And you can find me at RebeccaPete.com where you can also find all my social handles. Yep. And uh, I don't want to be found. So just find me on the Facebook for our uh, podcast and the Instagram, but not my personal. Bye. Bye. <laughs>